Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. I wonder if um, you would just consider and then, and then turn to somebody close by to you and just say this, and not as a gimmick, but as a real statement of intent. I'm becoming healthier. I'm becoming healthier. If you're starting from a low base, you might want to say it a few times. I'm becoming healthier. And how about this? Try this one now. But I may need to change gear. May need to change gear. So this is, a, this is a new season for us. It's a new term. It always feels that way, doesn't it, when we, when we regather in September. Um, but coming into this time, uh, all I can say personally, and I know many of you will share this, a real strong sense of some of those changes, some of the shifts, some of the adjustments that the Lord has for us. And um, a few people asked if, if I was planning to or would share uh, with us here what I preached at the Bible Week this year. And um, I'm really happy to do that on, on, this, on a couple of conditions, and they apply to me, these conditions, as, as much as anybody. Number one, um, I'm going to modify it a bit. Number two, I'm not repeating. I'm not rehashing. But God has something fresh for us. This, this is the day the Lord has made. Not the something of July. This is the day the Lord has made. So as we, as we share the word together, I, uh, I, I thank God we're becoming healthier. I thank God for every change of gear that this implies and demands of us. And um, let me begin by saying some things. You've heard, you've heard us say this many times, but these really are Crucial times in our world, aren't they? Even the news overnight from North Korea is, uh, adds to the sense for many people of great crisis. Times that are unpredictable and uncertain and, and unstable for many people. And there's much fear, there's much hopelessness, there's much, there's much for many people simply feeling let down by somebody, something, somewhere, some system. But, you know, for you and I, we've just been singing earlier on today a song that said his kingdom was unshakable, unstoppable. We are part of a kingdom that is unshakable and unstoppable. And these may, these may well be times of great crisis and uncertainty for many people, but they mustn't be so for us. These are days for us of great opportunity. And um, I want to... Uh, embed amongst us this morning the, the truth that we must move gear, change gear, shift, and move into something that I'll come on to describe as mission mode. We must move into mission mode. These times we're living in, uh, there is a New Testament word for them. There is a Greek word used in the New Testament for times such as these, and many of you will know the word. It's the word kairos. These are kairos times. And that word is used uh, often to, to, we would read about a moment or an opportunity. That word has the sense of a fitting season, an opportunity, a decisive point. A, th- th- this word has the sense of something God has ordained. This is, a, this is a moment in time. It's divinely ordained. You could say simply, it's decision time. Time's pregnant with opportunity. And, and I believe that amongst us and amongst the bigger us, 
these are days in which um, those of us who've, who've been so grateful for all the foundations that others in our movement, those who we would respect and appreciate and honor, all the foundations they've laid and for which we're so grateful, these are days for us to build something on them that means there's a new generation that's making a fresh mark. A new generation making a very fresh mark. And if I could be big enough to say it, in our nation, in our nation, I believe, I believe we can make a fresh mark in our nation and beyond. And so I want us to approach the Word of God with those things in mind, that context. And I'd like to turn you to Mark chapter 6. And um, we'll read this in a moment. But I want, to, I want us to read the only miracle, the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. That's significant. In fact... Do you know, apart from, apart from the events of the last week of Jesus' life, there are only two things that appear in all four Gospels. One is this miracle. The other is the statement by John the Baptist that when Jesus comes, he will baptize us, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. That statement that we will be baptized with the Holy Spirit is, is, is one of the only things that appears in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This miracle we're about to read of Jesus feeding 5,000 people is the only event other than those events of the last week, the week of passion leading up to the, the cross and the resurrection. It's the only other thing that's in all four Gospels. That's significant. But let's just read the story first. I'm reading from Mark, the earliest Gospel, Chapter 6, verse 30, reading from the Holman, and the text is on the screen. So you don't need your phone at all, you see? Richard didn't mean to say what he said about looking at verses on the phone. He got a bit confused. He'd been leading worship so well, he was overcome with a false thought. Mark 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus, just prior to this, by the way, He sent out the 12 into all the towns and villages. And and this this is the aftermath of that. The apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place. I just want to put to you, every every word here counts. We'll come back to them. Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and people ran there by land from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. And so as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. When it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is a wilderness, and it's already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. And they said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass, on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to his disciples, to set before the people. And he also divided the the two fish among them all. And everyone ate and was filled. And then they picked up 12 basketfuls full of pieces of bread and fish. And now those who ate the loaves 
were 5,000 men. An amazing story, isn't it? I think it's in Matthew's Gospel where Matthew says, uh, together with, uh, apart from the women and the children, 5,000 men plus women plus children, who knows? I'm going to say 20,000 people. Probably not unreasonable, I I don't know. And I said that only two things are in all the Gospels, apart from the, the Passion Week. The promise by John that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit and then the description of Jesus himself being baptized in the Spirit as the dove came upon him. And this miraculous feeding of 5,000 people. And I think that's significant. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, who each wrote to a different audience, they all want us to know something very significant. Firstly, that the baptism in the Spirit is essential, is vital, is necessary, is never optional for us, that Jesus gives us his power to advance his kingdom. And secondly, that Jesus then demonstrates supernaturally, as he feeds multitudes, he demonstrates the good news of the kingdom. In all four Gospels, a promise of supernatural power and then a supersized mega miracle to demonstrate how it all works. So that however we tell the good news, and we'll come on to this much more, however we tell the good news, it must come with supernatural power, and it will have a supernatural impact on multitudes. This miracle in itself, this idea of of, uh, of a small amount going a long way of feeding multitudes. Uh, it sort of it points back to some of the things in the Old Testament, the, the manna that fed them, miraculously feeding the people. Elijah and the widow, and Alex spoke this morning about both Elijah and Elisha, although he's only reading about Elisha. Uh, but Elijah, um, Elijah and the provision for the widow, and then Elisha providing for another widow, and Elisha multiplying loaves in 2 Kings 4. This, this miracle has a, has a place in a sort of sequence of things. Yeah, yeah. And it points ahead to the final great supper of the Lamb, doesn't it? Where we will all eat with him. And you know what? There's another miracle that's just like this one, isn't there? Just a few verses. In, in Mark's Gospel, I think it's two chapters later, there's the feeding of the 4,000. And when you read them, and there's a different number of bread and a different number of fish and a different number of basketfuls and you can easily get mixed up between them but I think these things are telling us something it's always been God's heart to feed people it's always been God's heart to lift up the poor to feed the hungry to provide for those in need Jesus went about everywhere doing those things doing good doing good to people But this vast, magnificent, supersized, mega miracle is on a scale beyond all of them. Thousands and thousands of people fed miraculously by Jesus. And I want to put it to us today that it tells us some really important things about our own mission. Okay? Number one is this, four things I'm going to share with you. He cares. Number one, he cares. Verse 34 says, as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now we're familiar with those words, aren't we? He cares. He, the, the Amplified says he's moved with compassion. And the, the word means to be, to be moved or stirred in the inner parts. Yeah. It's a very strong word, this. He was moved yeah. with compassion. Right. In the message, it simply says this. His heart broke. That's some of the, the essence of what, 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 what the, what's happening here. Jesus' heart is moved. His heart is broken because he sees a huge crowd and he has compassion on them. In one of the most well-known verses in the New Testament, John 3, 16, it says, God so loved the world 
but he sent his son. And we must remember that. God didn't send his son for the church. He sent Jesus for the world. Now, the church is the outcome of that. But Jesus came for the world. God so loves the world. And today, I wonder whether he cares. This is, this is a ridiculous statement in some ways. But I wonder whether he cares more than ever. The gospel writers refer to a crowd on, on many, many occasions. About 150 times, they talk about a crowd and over and over again, as you read Mark especially, he's always talking about the crowd that followed Jesus, the crowd that gathered around Jesus, the multitudes, the vast numbers. Vast crowds followed, multitudes came, multitudes gathered, thousands came out. And in this case, it seems thousands have run there, run ahead of him, because they believe he has what they need. They believe he has what they long for. Verse 34 says a huge crowd had gathered. Verse 33 says they came from all the towns. And if you could imagine that number of people, just imagine what that number of people looks like. If you go to the, I knew you said the Walker Stadium there, the, the, the King Power Stadium, where 38,000 people there. Imagine, imagine half that number of people. Just imagine looking down the side of that stadium or Hinkley Town Stadium multiplied by a million or something. <laughs> Can you imagine how much human need was present in that crowd? Not just tens and tens, not just hundreds and hundreds, but thousands upon thousands of human beings, all with a need, all with their own need, all with their own story, all with their own hurt, all with their own disappointment, all with their own dream, all with their own hope, some with anxiety or oppression, many of them probably often hungry, some of them undoubtedly diseased, 20,000 needs of every kind, and they have run there ahead of Jesus, believing he had what they needed. And Jesus has compassion on them. He's moved. He feels it. He, it burdens him. He's touched by it. He's pained by what he sees. He's not immune to it. He's, his senses aren't dull. He doesn't have what charity workers call compassion fatigue. He's not, sort of, he's, he's not tired of feeling that way. And the word tells us exactly why he feels it. It says, because... They were like sheep without a shepherd. Gosh, you've heard us talk about this, haven't you? This is the recurring lament of God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Sheep without a shepherd. You find many times that phrase is used, sheep without a shepherd. And what it, what it describes to us is something that's not right, something that's not proper, something that's unfair, unjust, disorderly. Sheep should have shepherds. Sheep without a shepherd is not the way it should be. Lives need order. Churches need leaders. The sick need a healer. The lost need to be found. And Jesus really cares. And I think when we, when we realize how much he loves the world, how much he wants people free and restored and dignified, how much he loves the poor and the disadvantaged and those who can't speak up for themselves, those who feel humiliated and embarrassed and ridiculed and scorned. When we start to understand how much Jesus cares for people like this, when we, when we realize how much he loves the mum and dad you're going to meet this week or have already started meeting at the school gate, or the bloke or the woman who works near you, across the office, across the factory, or the, or the chap you sit next to when you commute, or the people you regularly meet at the gym, or your mates at school or at college, when you, if you, if you care to, if you're willing to, if you're, if you're willing to move a gear and start to ask the Lord how he feels about the people you're rubbing shoulders with, bumping into, seeing every day, you and I cannot be indifferent. If, 
If the Spirit lives in me, which He does, if the Holy Spirit, who's a missionary, who's full of love, if, if He lives within me, I cannot be indifferent about the things that move Him, the things that concern Him. And then if you look at just how much Jesus cares for them, there's, there's a few things in the story, and we mustn't miss the detail. Jesus has been disturbed and interrupted. He's all set for a retreat with the 12. And in some of the versions, I think it's in um, Matthew's version, it tells you that, um, it gives the sense Jesus is, is gone to grieve because John's just been beheaded. His cousin, John, has been beheaded, his second cousin. And so Jesus is, is, is tired. He needs to grieve. He's planned some time away with the 12. And he's interrupted. Totally disturbed. And interrupted and, and disrupted. And a huge crowd have crowded in on his personal space. And he cares. And then, and then did, did, you probably noted this because I drew attention to it. This is a remote place. It's called a remote place twice. It's called a wilderness once. This is remote. But he still cares. And then, and then we're told it's already late in the day. And they're tired and they haven't eaten. They still haven't eaten. And they went there because so much was going on they didn't have time to eat. And now they've still not eaten. They've only got five loaves between them. And he still cares. And in this decisive moment, folks, if we're going to make a mark, if we're going to shift again, if we're going to make an impact in our nation, then I think, and I just apply this first to myself, I've got to be more flexible, more willing to be disrupted, disturbed, to have things go the, maybe the way I didn't plan. And I have to know there's no place too remote. There's no place we're working into that's too remote. There's no place that's too barren, too wilderness for Jesus. There's no place too hard for him. There's no place too wild for Jesus or for a miracle. And it's never too late. It's never too late for you if you're here this morning. It's never too late for your mates. It's never too late for your aging parents. It's never too late for your friends at school or at college. It's never too late for your, for your colleagues at work. It's never too late. We just have to care enough. I don't know whether you've ever thought about the huge crowds around us. I hope that I'm not being evangelistic here. But there's, there's at least 300,000 people in South Leicestershire. You take the, the, the key towns and you... There's at least 300,000. There's at least 100,000 in Tamworth and surrounding areas. There's at least 50,000 in Market Harbour and the villages around. There's at least another 50,000 in Colville and the places around to say nothing of anywhere else. That's 500,000 people, folks. Half a million people. Half a million people on our doorstep. And they're not statistics. They're not names on a census. They are, many of them, sheep without a shepherd. I believe Jesus... I mean, he could have, he could have done this with... 500, it would still be really impressive. He could have made five loaves and two fish feed 100, and it would still have been a miracle. But this is thousands and thousands and thousands. And then he does it again with 4,000, a similar number. Again, thousands and thousands and thousands. And I, I just want to say this. He wants us to think in thousands. Stop thinking in ones and twos and tens. Stop thinking in hundreds. He wants to lift us to think in thousands. Do I hear an amen? Maybe, maybe we are too comfortable. Maybe, maybe at times we're too apathetic, we're too indifferent. Maybe it seems sometimes too late. Society is so ungodly, culture is so corrupt, politicians are so unprincipled, the church at large is so compromised. Maybe a move of God seems too remote, too far off. Folks, it's never too late. It's never too remote. This is just the right time, the kairos time, the decisive moment that's pregnant with opportunity 
just the right time for us. I've said this before, but I, I, I really believe that the only way I could describe this, there's, there's a wave of God, a wave of, of an anointing that will bring forth a new wave of shepherds, men and women, shepherds who will be so moved with a deep and heart-wrenching love for the world. And if we would change gear, if we would embrace if this new season, if we'd, if we'd make the adjustments, then he wants to move us and enable us to really, truly care. Maybe this morning will be a great time to ask him to sensitize everything inside you. So there's no indifference. So we really feel it. So we put to death apathy and indifference and we make space in our hearts for thousands. This massive miracle starts because Jesus cares for crowds. And in fact, what happens, I, I want to put it to you, that what happens springs forth easily from that love and that compassion. May God move our hearts, church. We do, a, we do a fantastic job. We're doing a great job. But he wants to move us on a gear. He wants to expand us. He wants to take us into something further. The second thing I see in this story is, is this, that Jesus not only cares, but he dares. He dares them. It's like, um, well, in John's version, it, it, it actually says this. He says he, he, he asked them, how they were going to feed the crowd to test them. John, I think it's John 6, I think. Because he's already decided what he's going to do. Jesus has already decided, John 6, 6. And now he's testing them. He's daring them. It's like a challenge. But, but, it, but it's not gimmicky in the slightest. So Mark, Mark 6, verse 36 says, send them away. This is the disciples. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. I mean, it seems eminently sensible, doesn't it? What a practical solution. Send them away. There's loads of takeaways. There's loads of facilities. So there's bakeries. They send them away. They let, them buy, let, let these thousands of people go away out of this remote place into the communities now to buy something to eat. What does Jesus say? You give them something to eat. There's the dare. No, no, you give them something to eat. You feed them. Or in the message, you do it. You do it. I think um, one of the words that came this morning through, through Richard was about not waiting for God to do something. Not just waiting for God to do something. And here in this situation, Jesus challenges them and gives them the task of meeting the need. Don't miss what's happening here. First of all, he lets them see the need. He lets them bring the need to him because he knows the crowd are hungry. He knows it's a wilderness. He knows it's already late. He knows all of those things, but he doesn't point it out. He lets them come to him. It's funny, isn't it? He lets them come and say, Lord, it, this is a remote place. Yep. And it's already late. Yep. And there's thousands of them. Yep. He wants the disciples to see the need because that's how they are going to get involved in this miracle. We have to care like he cares. He's already decided he's going to meet the need, but now he wants to, them to meet it with him. If you were in the Bible week, I, I, I disclosed some pretty unsavory details about my childhood. Me and Banger going up to the off-license to have a silly food competition. We used to do that. We'd go into the off-license and we'd dare each other to buy some dog biscuits and eat them. <laughs> or, or some raw jelly and eat that. Or, we, we, so I think we had this dare. What, what, let's dare each other to, do, to eat the most ridiculous thing. I, I think it went beyond those things at times. And, and, you know, I guess when you were a kid, you, you, you remember those sort of, I dare you. Maybe it was something really stupid, like running across a busy road or something equally ridiculous to mine. But, um, 
those childhood dares were things that would, um, that would feel risky, feel a bit outrageous, feel a bit um, exciting, that would demand courage or bravery or just utter stupidity. And uh, I guess they make the adrenaline flow a bit, make the heart pump a bit, don't they? Those childhood dares. And you're daring to do it, and you, it's all, you're feeling really keyed up inside. Jesus dares us. Take this seriously. Jesus is daring us. Seek first the kingdom, I dare you. Bring me the tenth, I dare you. And I command you. Get out of the boat and walk on the water, I dare you. Turn the other cheek, go on, turn the other cheek, be different. Be different to your colleagues, turn the other cheek, I dare you. Go the extra mile, trust me. How about lift up the lame, I dare you. And here he is, I dare you to feed them. Those childhood dares were just silly things, skirting danger, getting away with something crazy or stupid or illegal. But when Jesus dares us, it's to stretch our faith. It's to lift our eyes up. It's to change our perspectives. And it's to involve us with him in the miracle. He wants us to be involved with him in the miracle. It's about, you know, sort of teamwork, isn't it? He, he's already decided what to do. This is to test them. This is to dare them. And do you know, notice this? The, 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 the disciples have this great idea, send them away. Those three words are not in Jesus' vocabulary. And they shouldn't be in ours either. Send them away. Is, send them away is not the solution. Come to me is the solution. Oops. Send them away is not in his vocabulary. These disciples have to see the need. They have to see the size of the crowd. They have to start to share his care. They've already been out around the towns and villages. They've already been casting out demons. They've already been healing the sick. They've already had more, more than a taster. They've been involved already on the front line in extending his kingdom. But now he's supersizing everything. He's taking them up a gear. He's taking them out by hundreds and thousands and daring them to join him in this miracle. Do you know, Jesus himself had to dare to do this. These things weren't, if I could say it this way, these things weren't inherently any easier for Jesus than they are for us. Jesus himself had to hear from his Father. Jesus himself had to move in the power of the Spirit because he laid aside all his divine attributes. Jesus had to move in the power of the Spirit according to what he'd seen, what the Father was saying to him, what he'd seen his Father doing, just as we do. And now he's daring them to join him in it. You feed them. Feed the world, church. He's calling us back to the most basic things. Love the lost. Meet needs. Feed the hungry. Demonstrate my kingdom. And I just want to, you to consider this morning, what are the things that you personally have dreamed of have imagined, what are you pregnant with? Maybe there's some new initiative. Maybe there's some place that you'd love to see a group started. Maybe there's some acts of kindness. Maybe there are some very practical expressions of love and care. What's he daring you to do? Maybe there's some very specific things and you know he's spoken to you and it's like, the word came this morning. You're, you're still waiting for him to do something he's daring you to do. These are decisive moments. Decisive moments. And de the days of playing it safe and secure are long gone. The stakes are much higher than they were when I went up to the off-license with Banger. We've got to give God something to work with and be far more daring. And then thirdly, he prepares the crowd. And he prepares the disciples. Have a look at verses 39 to 41. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass 
So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties, and then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. Jesus is preparing now. Bear with me. He prepares the disciples. He, he's already stretching them. Now he, in verse 38, he says, go and find out how many loaves you have. There's a preparation for the disciples as they start to find out what they've got. See, the disciples are sure that the solution must be in something else. But actually, it's in what they already have. As meager as it seems. And Jesus never asks us to use what we haven't got. He asks us to, he, he asks us to use what we have. He calls forth what we already have. And he rejects our mentality that says, well, I only have. Don't say, I only have. What have we got? We've got, we've got hundreds of people. We've got hundreds of zealous people. We've got fantastic youth group. We've got wonderful kids groups. We've got a vibrant explorers group. I thought you'd be a bit noisier on that one, Pauline. We've got loads of young families. We've got, we've got uh, great facilities. We've got houses all across the region. We've got burdens for particular things. We've got a good reputation in, in, in our community. Find out what we've got and present it before the Lord. And then Jesus prepares the crowd, and, and, and notice this. He instructs the disciples to have the crowd sit down in groups, blocks, rows, ranks, is the word in the Bible, in ranks of hundreds and fifties, to sit down. I think what he's doing here is he's making sure that if nothing happens, the disciples are really going to be implicated. Because sitting down was the posture when you're about to start eating. So the disciples are instructed to instruct the crowd now to sit down ready for food in groups of 50 and 100. If nothing happens, they're out on a limb. This was their instruction. I wonder why he, um, I wonder why he asked them to sit in groups of 50s and 100s. Well, there's, there's some really practical things you can think of. They sort of get bunched up in their groups, which means there's, there's space to walk around between the groups. Maybe it was to make it easy to count them. 100, 200, 300, 350, 400, 450, 500. There's 5,000 men here, Lord. We counted the men. They make space. They count them. And have you ever wondered why it uses the adjective green grass? He instructs them to sit down on the green grass. Funny little, funny insertion of the word, isn't it? What, what other kind of grass is there? But here they're to sit down on the green grass because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus is about to bring Psalm 23 to life, which says, The Lord is my shepherd, there's nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. Jesus is setting everything up. Then he prepares the meal. He prepares the meal by taking the loaves and the fish and blessing them, by taking what they had, what they'd given him, the resources they'd discovered, the, the things they'd given him, and lifting them before God and blessing them. When he does this, he's not saying grace. This isn't some, you know, little sentence repetitive thing. Jesus is blessing the loaves and in doing so he's calling forth the supernatural ability of God to change something. He's calling forth the miracle working power of God. He's lifting these loaves before the Lord and in blessing them he's doing something massive. Calling forth divine power to start to change them. I don't know how it happened whether molecules, atoms, started multiplying, but somehow in this blessing of the bread, something is transformed. And it changes everything. They brought the little they had, the five loaves, that seemed so inadequate. We might bring to him what we have as a church, what you have individually. It might seem so little. It might seem so inadequate. It might seem so lacking. But if you bring it before him, and ask him to bless it. 
You bring your career before him. You bring your neighbors before him. You bring your friends before him. We bring Mumstock before him. We bring IFC before him. We bring Nitanata before him. We bring explorers before him. We bring each of our life groups before him. Say, Lord, there's only 12 of us. But we lift ourselves before you to bless us and transform us and add your supernatural power and ability and efficacy to what we present before you, Lord. The disciples had worked out, I don't know who had the calculator, 5,000 plus kids plus wives, 20,000. That will be 200 denarii we'll need, Lord. Somebody, somebody's worked it out. Somebody's calculated it. What they haven't calculated is what happens when God gets hold of what we have and starts to transform it for his glory. Never underestimate what can happen when we find out what we've got and we let Jesus bless it. In, the, um, in that other thing that's in all four Gospels, John puts it this way, someone more powerful than I will come after me and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Would you just raise your hand if you've been through that baptism? Or even better, if you're still in the middle of it. I'm not looking. It's just for you to put your hand up confidently. And just keep them up, because when you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, you were blessed. And he was preparing you. But that baptism in the Spirit is never the end. It's the means to the end. The purpose of Pentecost is explicitly stated in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as being the empowerment to be witnesses. Keep your hands up, folks. In fact, put both up because that's really Pentecostal. <laughs> Everything else, speaking in tongues, prophecy, gifts of the Spirit, the quickening of the Spirit, the way the Word comes alive, the way you feel your heart is stirred, is moved, the way the, way the Holy Spirit who now lives and dwells within you stirs you and, and doesn't allow you to, all those other things, doesn't allow you to be indifferent. All those other things are part of the bigger overarching purpose, which is to empower us to be witnesses. Yeah. Folks, it's all about the mission. Yeah. It's all about the mission. We're blessed to multiply. Put, put your hands down if they're feeling as tired as mine are. Blessed to multiply, and somebody supremely powerful has baptized us in his spirit. And now he asks us to find out what we've got, to bring it to him, and to ask him to bless it. And finally this. Not only does he care, does he dare, does he prepare, now he shares. Verse 41 says, He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven... He blessed them and broke the loaves. And then he gave, in fact, it says he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. And he also divided the two fish among them. This is the miracle happening. He kept giving. He kept giving. Jesus, Jesus keeps sharing the food with the disciples who keep sharing it with the multitudes it's just like the story of Elisha and the widow's oil where it, it just says as long as she kept bringing them the empty containers, he kept filling them. He kept giving. Just would you, would you just say that out loud to me? He kept giving. He keeps giving. He keeps giving. They were hungry and he keeps feeding them and he met all their needs and they ate and they were all satisfied and there were basketfuls left over. But the miracle happened in the giving. They had to, they had to go from... From, from here taking to here blessing to now giving, breaking and giving. They had to start giving. And, and, and despite all the power, all the potential that's here amongst us, all the power, this term, this autumn, this new season, all the power for multiplication, all the potential that's here, 
Nothing will happen unless we start giving. Start giving. It's in the action. It's in the activity. People talk sometimes about a mission statement. There is no such thing. Mission is never a statement. Mission is never just words. Mission is never something written down. Mission is action. Mission is action. Jesus took and he blessed and he broke and he gave. And those, that, that's, a, that's a kind of a formula. It's not a formula, but it's a, it's a sequence. It's a pattern. It's a phrase we hear many times. He took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. That's what he does here. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he keeps giving it. At the Last Supper, a little bit later, Jesus is going to take the bread, bless the bread, break the bread, and give the bread. It's a prophetic picture of what's about to happen on the cross. Jesus, who was taken, blessed by his Father, on the cross is broken and given to the world. And folks, if we're going to be part of the miracle, we have to let God take us, use us, call us, commission us, put his mark on us. We have to ask him to bless us, to baptize us in his spirit, to add us to his family, which is such a blessing, and then break us, sensitize our hearts, sacrifice self-interest, and give us to our towns and our villages and the multitudes that he cares for so deeply. I'm coming to the end, but I just want to say this. If, if ever a story, if ever, a, if ever an event captures the great heart cry of our day and our generation and our nation and our world, I believe this is it. This is an abundant God meeting a multitude of human needs. This is a shepherd amongst his sheep. This is crowds, huge crowds, vast crowds, out in the wilderness, but finding Jesus. And finding Jesus and his people and his church and his disciples have all that they need. And it happens not once, but again, it happens twice with another thousands just to drive the point home. And at the end of the second account, in Mark 8, when he feeds the 4,000, at the end of it all, he says, do you still not understand? Do you not understand what I've done? Church, do we not understand his heart for the multitudes? Do you not understand that I have compassion for the crowd, that I can use what you have? If you'll bring it to me, let, let me bless it, I can use it. This is God's heart for the multitudes. During the summer, as I was was thinking about the Bible week and um, stirred with lots of things, as um, as I just woke up one morning, I just felt heard, felt stirred with this sentence that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. It's not a Bible verse, but I believe it's the heart of God for us. He said, you must move out of maintenance mode and into mission mode. You must move out of maintenance mode and into mission mode. I thought about what that meant. We're very good at maintaining things. We're really good at keeping things going. We're really good at arranging meetings, of planning, of organizing things. But if we're just ticking boxes or we're just ticking over. We've missed it. There's no point. We have no future. If our focus is maintenance, then all that happens is we slowly have less and less and less to maintain and become more and more and more irrelevant. There's an urgent need in our nation. There's an urgent need in our communities. There are multitudes of sheep without shepherds. There are multitudes looking for answers in all the wrong places. The verse in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 27, it says, to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. If ever that, if ever that epitaph was over our generation, to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. There's a church at large that's so compromised it ceased to have anything to say, anything to offer. And we must feed the world. It says of Jesus, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what he came for. 
the Spirit came upon him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for captives and sight for the blind and freedom for the oppressed. And he sent out the disciples to join him on his mission, sends out the 12, sends out the 72, teaches them how to fish for men, not how to organize the rotors, how to park cars in straight lines. Those things matter, but that's not what Jesus taught his disciples. He taught them to fish for men. He empowered them to have supernatural authority to drive out demons and to lift up the sick. He empowers them here to feed multitudes. Jesus hasn't co-maintenanced us. He's commissioned us. It's time for us to move 100% out of maintenance mode and into mission mode. How many of you have um, been on some kind of a holiday over the last few weeks? If you've, uh, did you ever use that phrase, holiday mode? You know, you know what that phrase means, we're in holiday mode. It's, it's, that t- it's that mode where everything sort of slows down. Richard Jones confessed to me that he didn't even wear a watch on holiday. <laughs> Simon Rowland, who isn't here this morning, confessed to me that he didn't even take his laptop on holiday. That's called mission mode. Uh, sorry, that's what, well, maybe. That's, that's called holiday mode. Everything, you know, everything sort of resets. Every perspective is, is a bit different. And um, that is what I think the Lord has for us. Not a holiday mode, a mission mode. In which everything shifts. Everything. Now we've come back, we're back in work mode. School mode. Moving into mission mode means a whole new perspective. And I'm finishing with this, but, but, and I realize I've been speaking a while. If you could just stay with me for the next five minutes. It's a whole perspective. It's a view of the world. It's not so much about what we do. It's about the way we think. It's rethinking everything in the light of mission. Seeing the world as he sees it. Seeing, seeing the multitudes the way he sees them. It's a gear change. It's a change of gear. Now, don't switch off and think this applies to somebody else. Mission mode means everybody, everybody is a full-time missionary. It means nobody's on the sidelines. It means Jesus' mission is not my hobby. It's not my pastime. It's his mission. It consumes everything. It means we're ready, we're consumed with zeal for reaching the lost, for helping the poor, for feeding the hungry. It means because we've, we've moved into a new mode that we start to see everything differently. We see the needs. We're aware of what we've got. We're willing to lift it before the Lord for him to bless it and transform it. It means we don't see noisy neighbors, immoral colleagues, corrupt politicians. We don't see that. We see sheep without a shepherd. Weary and worn out, harassed and helpless. We see fields ripe for harvest. It means we're always asking the questions, how can I care? How can I share? How can I bless? How can I love? How can I give? How can I befriend? In Stony Stanton, in Market Harbour, in Tamworth, in Colville, in any other place the Lord plants us in the coming months, it will mean we call on God on our knees for our communities. It means every activity in this church, kids, youth, office, Explorers, Knit and Natter, every activity has mission at its heart. It means we don't do anything to maintain. Do you understand what I'm saying? We see everything differently. We're moving up a gear. It means we anticipate and we expect and we plan for people to be saved weekly, daily even. It means we're ready at all times. I said blessed on Friday 
the mum stop teams all came together to get ready for the new term. Such excitement, such faith, such vision for what God's going to do. It means we're all on high alert for the harvest language that's all around us. Read Anna's book if you don't understand that phrase. It means we're all able to give a clear testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives, the before, what happened, and the after. It means we're all able to share the good news of the gospel in a simple way, how Jesus saves. It means we give as much thought to our impact in the community as we do to planning our Sunday gatherings. More, in fact. It means all our life groups have an outward focus and develop a deep burden for their localities. It means every new house being built across our region knows who we are and where we are. That's essential. It means we give away larger proportions of our income. It means we start to make appeals in most of our gatherings, and I mean all our gatherings, not just a Sunday morning gathering. It means we love people to Christ. We don't push or coerce or we're not weird, we're not, we're not flaky, but we love people to Jesus. It means we produce new material that will help us reach and disciple multitudes. That's happening. It means we will retrain our ministry of helps teams to welcome hundreds of people through our doors. It might mean we have to adjust the exterior of our building here in Stony Stanton to help us communicate the message. It might mean we, well, it will mean we make much better and greater use of social media and video and podcasts to communicate the good news that we're carrying. It means we'll run Alpha in all our places at some time in the coming months because we know it's successful. It means we take every opportunity to pray for people, lay hands on people. We're constantly inviting our friends into things. It means we create the space for hundreds of people to join us. It means we really value everybody's day jobs, where God's placed you on the front line. We really value that. And in the life groups, we're regularly praying for each other in our own mission fields. It means we speak out when we should and we're unashamed in declaring what the Bible says and what Jesus means to us. And this, this is something I really feel strongly. We give an inspiring example of what marriage and family life and peace and stability and security and order can look like. Folks, if we want to stay relevant and see growth in this new season, we've got to move out of maintenance mode and into mission mode. The Holy Spirit will help us with all the practicalities of that to start to live and breathe and eat and drink and think and talk mission. But this is a decisive moment with half a million people on our doorstep and Jesus is saying, you feed them. You feed them. Lord, we want to thank you this morning. That you're ready to include us in the miracle. As we come before you and say, this is what we have, may not seem enough, but we give it to you. And say, take it and bless it and break us and give us to our community, our towns, our villages. Give us to Tamworth like never before. Give us to Colville like never before. Give us here in the south of Leicestershire like never before, Lord, we pray. And Lord, for all of us who know this means a change of gear, I want to pray this morning that we'll have the courage to embrace every change that's implicated, everything that's needed to move us from maintenance into mission, from fourth into fifth, from fifth into sixth, from first into second, whatever the gear change in our lives you're bringing about, Lord that we will embrace those things. 
And we'll help you feed the world here, Lord, in these decisive days. for joining us today there's so much going on at living rock church and we'd love for you to be involved search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on facebook twitter and instagram